I'll sort it out. Yeah. I know what I can do. That's just the wind, by the way, in case you thought we had like a poltergeist or something. Oh. <laughs> My name is Grace Chapel, and I like things. I'm not really talking about nice clothes or gadgets, though those can be great too. But you know what I get excited about? Movie ticket stubs, birthday cards from 10 years ago, or pressed flowers still in the book you left them in in high school. It's the kind of stuff that goes in a shoebox under the bed, not on the mantelpiece. What is it that makes these things so important to us? And why won't we let them go? Join me each episode as I delve into someone's life, finding out about the treasures that they keep and the memories that those things preserve. This is Odds and Ends for Curio. Just, Carly says I've got a bad habit of swiveling when I talk to people, <laughs> so just kick me if I keep doing it. This is Sam. Sam is a dad. He has three beautiful daughters, traces of whom I can see littered around their quiet suburban home. Things like plastic crockery, do you forget whatever a thing during my stage of life, when people are between being a kid and having kids? The house is quiet because his wife has taken the girls out while we're recording, but occasionally I can still hear the distinct sound of children in the distance. It's the school holidays. I didn't realise Sam was a dad when I first met him. He's only 35, and seems far too cool to be a dad. No offence to dads. When I met Sam, the first thing I noticed about him was... He has this weight to him. I don't mean in kilograms, although he is a big guy. He runs a local gym and does personal training. A man's man. But the weight is something else entirely. Maybe you can hear it in his voice. He's the kind of man whose word I would take for anything, like the sky is green or flared jeans are cool. When I talked to Sam about coming on this show, he said he had one object he'd definitely like to talk about. It was finding any secondary objects that he had a bit of trouble with. When I arrived for the interview, he was still thinking. After a while, he went to his room and started hunting through his memory box, just like the shoeboxes I keep under my bed. Oh my god, this is scary. He suggests a school newsletter with pictures of him in a production of Grease and a stack of collectible cricket cards, which he assures me are definitely worth something. Eventually, he settles on a small black frame with a single blue ticket inside. Um, at school, both primary school and high school, this is really dusty. Um, I was like known as the U2 guy. Like I was obsessed with U2. Yeah. And I'm probably showing my age a bit here as well. Um, even I was like a young U2 supporter. Mm-hmm. Most U2 supporters are like, you know, around 40s now. The opportunity first came to see them when I was uh, 16, so I was in year 11. And I've been to a couple of concerts and stuff here and there. Uh, Big Day Out I went to when I was 15, that was really good. Big Day Out was this music festival which would get the biggest acts of any festival in Perth until it was cancelled a few years ago. But, like, this was just the biggest thing for me because, like, it was pretty rare for these big bands to come to Perth. And I've been hanging out. I've been watching so many live videos and all I listened to was their albums. And I was just, I'm still a really big fan, but I'm not obsessed, like, in an unhealthy way like what I used to be. Um, And so I just used to be obsessed with them. Anyway, um, so I got to see them 
it was their pop mart tour and like they just played every song I could have possibly wanted them to play. I couldn't walk for about a week, like properly for a week afterwards because my calves were so sore from jumping up and down for like two and a half, three hours straight that I couldn't walk properly after this concert. And um, uh, it was just to this, like I've seen you two about five or six times now. I saw them in New York when I was there two years ago. That was awesome. I think I've been to better U2 concerts, but nothing will ever rival when it comes to a rock gig. The um, adrenaline, the massive high and buzz as a 16-year-old is what I had at this gig, seeing U2 for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm holding in my hand, which I haven't even mentioned yet, is a, a framed ticket of that concert. And I've just, I've always held on to it. Um... Because, yeah, I've, I've never, like I said, I've, I've never been to a concert since where I've just had my mind so blown. Um, seeing them in the flesh for the first time was completely surreal, especially being 16 year, years old. It just magnifies everything so much more. Yeah. You know, you have a little bit more perception and I guess you're a bit more numb to it as you, as you get older. So, yeah, got this uh, U2 ticket. At, they played at Burswood Dome Tuesday the 17th of February 1998. And it's in this little black frame. And that's a really, really fond memory, that, that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. For me, when I look back on it, I think it helped me um, identify myself. Mm-hmm. Um, this obsession I had with the U2, like I think I almost wanted to be known as like this U2 guy because it just, it, it gave me something. It gave me an identity. But I didn't have to fake it, that's for sure. I, like, I was really obsessed with them. I just love their music. I still do. I still, there's some songs that I listen to from you 2 There's, like, two in particular. One's called One Tree Hill. The other one's called um, Until the End of the World, where I still feel the exact same way when I listen to it mm-hmm. as what I did when I was 10 years old. Weirdly enough, I also framed the ticket for my first concert. Maybe this is something lots of people do. You'll have to tell me. It was Avril Lavigne, 2005. Talking to Sam, I'm suddenly flooded with memories of wearing Dad's necktie paired with a white singlet and baggy jeans. And then I remember. I was the Avril Lavigne kid in primary school. I dreamt of skater boys and tried to be a badass, which is very hard as a white, privately educated 10-year-old. I don't still have my ticket, though, so clearly Sam is the bigger fan. I know Botto gets on people's nerves a bit, and I get that. Did you ever dress like him? I ask him this because Sam bears a striking resemblance to a 90s-era Bono. That is, if Bono had gone to the gym a bit more. Um, no, I didn't. No, I was never game enough to rock the leather pants <laughs> and, the, and the fly sunnies. Um, but if the opportunity ever came where I had to dress up as Bono for like a, uh, a costume party or something, yeah, I'd own it. <laughs> yeah, I'd get the leather play, the, uh, the fly shades. <laughs> grease my hair back. Sam's main, very special item that he wanted to talk with me about today is a little silver surfboard hanging on a necklace. There's an engraving on the underside of the surfboard. It's a tiny, hollow love heart and a name. Christian. So, um, now I have three, well, I have four children and um, three of them, my three daughters, are still with us today. Um, And our fourth was actually our second oldest, and it was a boy, and his name was Christian. 
and uh, he was stillborn in 2007 on Australia Day. Um, and so that was obviously a really tough time. Um, he still is very much, we see him as a valued uh, part of our family. Um, you know, we still love him. We still talk about him a lot. Um, we tell our, our, our daughters about him. Um, and the two oldest have, have kind of got a good grip on what, um, what, their, what their brother what that's all about, what happened with him and, and what he means to us. Whereas the youngest, Osha, we're still, uh, still explaining that to her, you know, teaching her about life and death. And How old is she now? Osha is eight in December. Um, Scarlet and River, so Scarlet's our oldest. She's 11 and, uh, and River is nine. And, yeah, so we're very blessed uh, to have all four children. And, um, yeah, so we, we celebrate his life. Uh, it, it, it's still, it's not delicate, the, the subject to speak about him. Um, sometimes Carly in particular, my wife, Carly, um, it still does make us sad, uh, particularly her, you know, especially around the time of his birthday. Um, so Australia Day has another special meaning for us every time it comes around on the 26th of Jan. Um, but we do celebrate his life and, and we have so much love and, and gratitude for him being a part of our life. Um, and especially with the work that Carly's done since he, since he died, uh, the legacy that, that we have left for him, um, is something that's really beautiful. And we've let it, met a lot of amazing and beautiful people along the way, which we're very grateful for too. One of our special friends that we've been able to meet that we met quite early on in our, in our journey and into Carly's work is a woman that lives in Queensland. Her name's Sue. She actually makes jewelry for bereaved families. And uh, I didn't know this, but Carly had sent her over some of Christian's ashes. And then a package arrived in the mail for me one day, and I opened up, and it was something from Sue from Queensland. And um, she had made this silver surfboard, uh, and it has Christian's ashes in it as, as, as she makes it up, as she makes the silver. Part of his, his ashes are in there, so I've always got a little bit of him wherever I go. So it's a cool little surfboard. Um, I love it in all its little imperfections. I think that's what makes it great. And uh, yeah, this is this is uh, really important to me for obvious reasons. A time when it has when when I find that it really gives me comfort is um, a perfect example is when I did a little bit of self searching and soul searching a couple of years ago. Um, 2015, I went to America. I caught up with a mate in LA, and I went to New York for a few days on my own. Um, and, uh, I get a little bit homesick and, you know, a little bit, a little bit vulnerable, a little bit down at times if I'm ever traveling away on my own. Um, and New York, especially with the, yeah. the size of that place, it's like being in a current of people most <laughs> of the time. And, uh, you know, whenever I did feel down or, or I felt like I just needed to be with someone or speak to someone, all I had to do was just grab this and just softly clench it and just, you know, and then all of a sudden I wouldn't feel alone anymore. Um, and I also took some of his ashes with me to New York and I buried some in this beautiful big oak tree, uh, in Central Park. Yeah. So that was really cool as well. There's something achingly sad about the necklace and yet this gesture and the reverence with which they treat his memory is so beautiful. It's hard to stay sad talking about it because they seem to have been able to bring so much good from it. I already know this story about Christian 
mainly because of the work that Sam and his wife Carly have done in the years since his death. I asked him to talk a little bit about this. In 2008, Carly started blogging um, about her experience with Christian. Um, and she met a lot of people uh, overseas, other bloggers, um, who have experienced something similar. And, um, and one night she had a dream um, that she was walking along the beach at the time of sunset. And, uh, and so there was a little group of children just like doing some drawings in the sand. She could see them from a distance and they were, they were uh, quite a bit further up the beach. And so she started walking over to them. And as she got very close, the, uh, the children got up and saw her, but they were laughing and they were happy and they just kind of ran away. And there was, I think there was one child, if I remember her describing the dream correctly, there was one child, a boy, who she never saw the face of, just saw the back of his head, but he ran off laughing as well. And so as she went over to have a look at what they were drawing in the sand and uh, there was Christian's name written in the sand. And so that dream was the catalyst for her to go down to the beach at sunset time, write the names of children in the sand of people that she'd met over her blog and, um, and then send, so take the photo of the name in the sand with the ocean and then the sunset in the background. It really are beautiful images. She then sent them off to people around the world. And so it started with uh, just a handful of people a week who should, should send them off, should do them for free. This wasn't a service that we charged for or anything. Mm-hmm. And then um, the requests started to very quickly roll in, um, where just, we started to get hundreds a week, which was really hard to do. <laughs> um, and so we tried doing it for as long as we could. Uh, I was working full-time through all this. It became almost a full-time job on its own. It, it really did um, take its toll on our on our family. We started um, asking for donations at first, and um, we had a few come in here and there, but unfortunately it was just something that we had to start asking money for if it wanted to be done, but we don't charge very much. And, yeah, so Names in the Sand started from that. Eight to nine years later, which we are now, uh, that's still the foundation of what she does, but that's branched out into lots of other things, so... She's asked to uh, co-host retreats around the world for bereaved parents, um, uh, speak at conferences, which we both are in November in New Zealand. Um, uh, so that's for SANDS. So that's S-A-N-D-S. That's an organisation which are, which are one of the leading organisations in the world that are a support network for bereaved parents and families when a, a child or a baby passes away. If you'd like to know more, we've left the links for Carly's website and the other organisations that Sam is mentioning in the show notes. Yeah, so that's just a couple of examples of things that she does. But we've done ceremonies uh, down at the beach. She does other artworks as well through photography and sand drawings. And yeah, so it's, it's really cool. When he lost Christian, Sam was 24 years old, just two years older than I am now. It's a young age to experience such a loss, but also to have dealt with it so maturely. Sam and Carly now speak at meetings and conferences all over the place, dedicated to helping bereaved parents who've lost children or pregnancies. He tells me it gives him joy to think that maybe out of this terrible thing that he went through, he's been able to help someone else. Yeah, I think so. And um, I think it's important too for your processes as well. I think particularly for men, like we're sometimes afraid to be emotional. Um, but we're emotional. We shouldn't ever block anything out because it's the way we're designed. 
you know, emotions were, were designed to try and, I think the more in touch with them you are, the healthier it is for you. I think it's important for us biologically, spiritually, emotionally, to, uh, to embrace those feelings when they come, whatever it may be. And that's why Carly's work is really important. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I could say our work, but um, mainly Carly. That's why her work's so important. The work of SANS is mm-hmm. really important. There's other organisations out there as well. Um, I think some of the most important ones are in America. It's called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. They're the photographers who arrive for families. They're volunteer photographers, and they arrive at the hospitals for families who, who uh, whose children have passed away, and they get photos with them with their families, which is something that we regret not doing. We regret not taking photos with him. We got photos of him, um, but, yeah, we regret not. For some reason, we, we just didn't want to take photos with him at the time. Um, and even talking about it, we may give that awareness now that because we've spoken about how we regret not doing that, maybe other people will hear that. And so they would recommend to others, look, you may not feel comfortable taking photos with your child now, but this family, you know, who we've heard speak about, they, they suggest that, yes, you might not feel like doing it at the time, but it might be something that you regret later. So it might be a good idea and you never know. We could help someone out that way. Um, but this day and age, there's more support out there, which is great. And that's only building and building. Carly has, has had thousands of stories over the years now told to her. And um, there's stories of people, uh, mothers who this has happened to 40, 50 years ago. And they haven't been able to talk about it to anyone for 40 or 50 years until they've approached Carly. Because, yeah, it was just something that you weren't meant to talk about, apparently. And uh, it's really sad. But I'm glad there's people like Carly in the world now. So other women and men as well can reach out to her with their stories. The necklace is one of the most precious objects I've ever seen. Completely and utterly unique and irreplaceable. I'm half surprised that it's not locked away in a safe somewhere. But Sam tells me he doesn't get too hung up on that side of things. I guess for my own mental survival, mm-hmm. I um, consciously don't get too attached to possessions. Um, so even something like this, which has like part of my son in it, it has his ashes in it. I, If I have something in my life that's special, which is like a possession, I prepare myself for the fact that one day I might lose it especially something like a necklace where it could snap off or, mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't even notice. So, you know, I could lose it. Um, it could get stolen one day. Um, you know, I could come home, you know, same with the U2 ticket, you know, it just could get destroyed in a fire. And, um, and I've mentally prepared myself to be cool with that. Yes, it would be a bit of a shame if it's gone, but I, um, with any of these um, items, Although they're special to me, I I feel like I'm in a place now where if, if they were to go, I would be okay with that. Um, I think it's important to not get... To, it's important to have special things in your life, but it's important not to rely on them um, and not to feel too attached to them where you couldn't function in, in any way uh, without them being there. I, I'm more interested in memories, creating memories and experiences, like, you know, with my kids even... Even going bowling with River the other day, you know, that's a memory I'll hold on to forever. 
I feel like Sam is hitting on the question that I pose in the opening of this show. Things become precious to us not because of their material value, but because of what they represent. Christian's necklace is about feeling close to Christian, not about the silver or the surfboard. The U2 ticket is a reminder of who Sam was at that stage of his life and how he defined himself. Maybe it's a good reminder not to forget the things that we want to remember under piles of stuff. Sounds like something my mum would say. I guess Christian's necklace, um, yeah, it would be a shame because it's a special necklace. It was handmade by a friend, has his ashes in it, but I know Christian would want me just to say, bad luck, and life goes on. And so that's what I'll do. Odds and Ends is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Grace Chapel. We're produced by Jackson Newsard and me, Ben McAllister. Our theme music is Warm by Joey Pecoraro. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show, so find us on Facebook or Twitter at Curio Network or on Twitter at Odds and Ends Show. If you like the show, think about rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen. It's about the most helpful thing you can do. As per usual, we'll have a new episode of our D&D podcast, How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, coming this Friday, and a new episode of Still Interested, our film and TV reboot podcast, next week. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. Yes, yeah. all the Apple controversy. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone knows when it got released because everyone yeah. got on their phone. <laughs> For the record, it's a pretty good album. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I dig it. It's good.